We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Into the RotoWire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKegney, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is Thursday, August 27th. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. We have a ton to get into today. We're going to get into uh, the the shifts in the ADP market when it comes to running backs um, with that zero uh, or that kind of modified zero RB uh, catching on, being a little bit trendy. We're seeing uh, the running backs that were going uh, outside the sixth, maybe even seventh round, start to see their, their ADPs creep way up you know inside the the uh the fifth round there um so we're going to get into that we're also going to get into some news and notes we're going to get into uh the jets offense a little bit and the bears offense uh so really really dumpster diving on on this one uh just a little bit but uh before we dive in mario how are you doing uh fine it's hot out so i mean i like staying inside anyway now it's it's especially a good time to hibernate for me um i don't know there's yeah there's nothing really new i've, I've uh made some udon noodles yesterday there we go had those nice yeah it's that's pretty a- easy to make it I, it actually i accidentally ended up making the um those like walgreens uh microwavable like chinese dinner things sure so that's kind of like the most the, the greatest accomplishment of my life i didn't even try to do it it's just i'm just that smart that, i mean that's kitchen magic uh alchemy well done. Well done, I, I got to say. Um, I don't think I've had any particularly impressive cooking adventures uh, this week. Yeah, not, nothing too crazy going on on my end. I am going to be in the mountains of North Carolina this weekend, though, so I am excited uh, for that. Uh, and I will come back rested and uh, focused and, and ready for uh, the football season. But let's go ahead. Let's dive in. Let's start things out. Um, with the Joe Mixon situation uh, going on in Cincinnati. So it looks like Mixon uh, dealing with some migraine issues has been missing uh, practice time with that. Is there anything else to read into uh, when it comes to uh, the Mixon situation as it stands? Well, he was 
negotiating with the, with the Bengals for a contract extension, and I don't remember when they might have engaged those talks. I don't know where those talks are now. There haven't been like public comments on it, but there is, or at least I saw on Twitter today, there was like some worry that Mixon wasn't actually sitting out with migraines, and maybe he was just making up a reason to sit out and is actually doing kind of an unannounced holdout and. You know, the world's weird. Joe Mixon can do whatever he wants, so it's technically possible, but I have no idea how that would make any strategic sense. If he's trying to get a new contract, if he's trying to get a pay raise, then you announce your holdout. Or at least if he were just telling the Bengals about this holdout, I don't think the Bengals would uh, leave it alone from the press. Like, I think it would leak pretty quickly. Sure. Like, oh, yeah, Mixon's holding out. We're pissed off about it, et cetera. Uh, they might even leak some slander about Mixon. Like if you see if you see a, a news report come out soon about like uh, you know Joe Mixon hasn't paid his taxes or something, then I, then that's gonna, I'm going to be like, oh wow, maybe he is holding out. Um, but I don't think there's any reason to see that. If only in the meantime, if only because it wouldn't work. Like the Dalvin Cook way, at least makes a little more sense. Like it makes a little more sense to uh, wait till after the draft, kind of give the threat of holding out. And, and in that scenario, you might do it because the team at least has the planning capacity to maybe hand over the money that you're looking for. Right. But if Mixon truly just waits till week one and is like, psych, I'm not playing, then the Bengals aren't even really in a position to address it. They're like, oh, well, we got to go get ready for the game. So we're going to do that in the offseason, I yeah. guess. <laughs> it's like it's not, it doesn't make any practical sense, in my opinion. So not to diminish the migraines. I mean, I don't that, that stuff sucks. I, I have no idea what kind of situation you might be dealing with. Percy Harvin, of course, was the kind of most memorable case of sure. that. And that had a real effect on him. But I'm pretty sure Harvin had those even back at Florida. Like, I yes. don't remember it just popping up in his third year in the NFL. So we'll see. I, I tend to believe, you know, may, maybe Mixon is doing like a soft holdout where he he kind of just makes up reasons not to practice. But even in that scenario, it's it's – He's he's kind of sending his message then, and he 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 would still in that case play in week one because again, the, going in with a surprise holdout isn't even how he would get more money. Right. I mean that like uh, you know to to draw a comparison to last summer with with like Melvin Gordon's holdout when there is you know really not a whole lot of leverage that that he was working with there. Um, you know things obviously didn't end up working out uh, great. As far as as that went for for him, I think Mixon, if if it is like the the sort of holdout potentially, uh, like kind of su- surprise, I'm holding out. Uh, then yeah, that that's just not going to to go well. I think that you know that he won't get the year of service time right, so it'll it'll be tougher as yeah. far as like the, hitting the free agent market, that sort of thing. So that would be and, and counterintuitive. Wouldn't be, they wouldn't even be prepared to pay him like they it. The idea that like he'd get to week one, say, "Oh, I'm not going to play," and then they all of a sudden just say, "Okay, we'll pay you whatever you want." Like that wouldn't happen. They would just say, "Like ah, we literally don't have like our stuff together. We we can't we can't write a contract right now. We don't have enough time." So uh, that, it just it doesn't seem likely to me. I can't imagine logistically how that could possibly work. All of this, of course, leads to um, a hearkening back to. Norman, Oklahoma, 2016, and uh, Samaj P. Ryan becomes the the running back. That, that would want. be funny. Yeah, they did <laughs> they did claim him off waivers, and it sounds like Samaj P. Ryan actually is kind of in contention for that running back three role Let's there, which would, be, which would be kind of funny. Um, but yeah, in any case, I think that Mixon looks pretty good for this year. Uh, there, there's a lot of optimism, understandably so, and it's only picked up with with Joe Burrow looking good in practice, right? But, the optimism was kind of there for a lot of people with Joe Burrow and adding T Higgins certainly helps if John Ross can stay healthy, you know, and AJ Green, that would be pretty loaded group. So it was kind of weird to me how you'd see some mix in skepticism that didn't that seemed a little bit greater than the amount of skepticism for the passing game. And it's like, I know people have their various reasons for doubting Mixon and certainly rooting against him like karmically or whatever, but the idea that he would do what he did last year in an offense that was really bad. Like I know people probably forgot to get desensitized to things. We all have goldfish brains with this, you know, nonstop 24 uh, seven news assault that, that makes us all insane and stupid. But that Bengals offense was so bad. They just could not get first downs. Was pathetic. For, they, they were basically just like uh, the last seven minutes of the fourth quarter every week 
uh, pretty much all year with the exception of two or three games. Uh, they, they would like Andy Dalton would and certainly Ryan Finley. They kept going into the third quarter with like 26 yards passing, stuff like that. And if you don't think that that kind of limiting factor will will be sub, uh, placed upon Mixon this year, then you should be able to grant him the some he'll do a lot more in that kind of context. You know, they're going to run more plays. They're going to run plays more often in scoring range, things like that. And they have a good reason to give him more pass catching work, which would more easily happen if they're again, moving the chains and running more plays. Um, Cause Mixon's been a really effective pass catcher his whole career and going back to Oklahoma, but they've kind of kept Gio Bernard in a pass catching role, if only to kind of justify that contract extension he got. But mm-hmm. There's there's a way for Mixon to get into that kind of the top three, top five running back sort of category. And in, in my opinion, the talent is not a question at all. It's just a question of can the Bengals give him that workload and what kind of how successful will that offense be? Will he stay healthy? Stuff like that. Yeah, I think, you know, the personnel wise that um, there, there's been chatter. I think A.J. Green was quoted Thursday saying that this is the best their offenses look personnel wise since 2015 when they won the AFC North and they were really good that year had they not uh, choked against the Steelers and you know I think they really could have made some noise in, in that playoffs I really felt like they were a good team I guess Andy Dalton's wrist break or whatever it was maybe his thumb uh, would have would have hurt them later on in the playoffs but besides the point what I'm saying is that this Bengals offense I think is going to be just unrecognizable from where it was a year ago and if if that offensive line can be you know at least you know anywhere outside of the bottom five you know if it can just have a pulse and just allow burrow to sit back there and you know facilitate to the loaded group of pass catchers that they have then i think this offense is going to be a lot better and defenses aren't going to be able to sell out um against the run because they're going to have to be defending you know kind of a basketball team on the outside with between higgins um and aj green and then you know obviously tyler boyd working out of the slot john ross adding that speed element all of that to say that yeah things should line up really well for Mixon. i just uh, I went ahead and I got him in the stake league. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to get too many shares of him because I just have some some durability concerns and things can, yeah. can always go wrong um, with with these running backs. But like, it, I think if you leave draft season with with zero mix in shares, I think you're really you know shutting off the possibility of you know having someone really really crush value and and like you said maybe even uh, end up as like a top three type of running back if things go um, as well as they can. Yeah, it's it's a little concerning that they got to play a fourth of their season against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, which could be the first and second best defense in the league. But like you said, they got so much firepower in response too. And if Burrow really is as good, if if Jonah Williams is as good as as people hope for, as as they generally look so far, knock on wood, they really might be able to kind of hold serve. And at the very least. Last year, they ran plays at one of the fastest paces in the league. So they might have games where they lose by 21 and still have good fantasy days just because Burrow threw 42 passes or something like that. Yep. So, um, you know, they, they can still be a source uh, for fantasy uh, production, even even if, you know, they're, they're not really uh, racking up the W's um, in the win-loss column. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal. A real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Um, Let's move on over... Uh, to Chicago, some news came out. You know, everyone held their breath at first with, "Oh, Dave Montgomery down with the potentially serious injury." Oh, this did not look good. Uh, turns out that he has a groin injury that's going to keep him out uh, for two to four weeks. So that obviously um, makes him murky at best for the season opener um, against Detroit. Um, and you know, this is—I I, want to use this as a jumping-off point to to talk about the Bears' offense in general. But um, I first want to get into the the perceived impact in your mind when it comes to Montgomery. What do the Bears do? Um, you know, if if a week from now they still haven't done made any moves as far as uh, bolstering their backfield, because as it stands, uh, if Montgomery's out and they go into the season with Tariq Cohen, Ryan Nall, and, and Artavis Pierce as their you know three running backs. That's just non-viable. Right, and I 
can kind of find reasons to be optimistic about guys like Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce. Well, you're as, a big Oregon State guy. Everyone knows that. Right. That's my team. Mm-hmm. And uh, But like they, they're only interesting as kind of practice squad type guys. Like they're guys who if, if you see them going into – uh, their second year as the running back three and the running back two gets hurt. You think like, oh, they might be, they might do pretty good as a backup, I guess. But you don't specifically think like, oh, I can't wait for Ryan Nall to get a starting chance in the NFL. Like he could work out fine. I mean, he was certainly a really good college player. It's just I think his build is more like a tight ends where he kind of started out in college before they moved him to running back. Because uh, at six two two thirty two, it's like that kind of guy. That, that, that kind of build might have worked back in like the 80s or something when the game was a lot more sloppy. But nowadays, I feel like everything's more finely tuned and precise that like you can't really hide his uh, what would it be uh, like center of gravity disadvantage. It's like he's just he's just too built. He's, he's like his build is too uh, upright and he doesn't have enough anchor mass to kind of offset how big of a target he is. So the fact that he's a really good athlete for a 232-pounder doesn't really mean that much functionally because he's mostly just like a walking headshot if he tries to go through the tackles too many times. And it's like, a guy like that is better getting him into space on like bootleg passes and you know tight end, H-back type stuff. So That, that was like a Jalen Hurd problem back at Tennessee too. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and he was – God, that was, that was, that was just – malpractice like he was six foot five and they put him at running back just ridiculous <laughs> and, Butch and, jones what a moron and, and running running him there instead of alvin Kamara, like i don't know man just there there was a lot of ways <sighs> to to do things better at tennessee than, than what butch so jones dumb. was able to put together but yeah so like Noel was a really good college player and he can catch passes and he he's he is he functionally athletic and an NFL football sense and I don't know I think he I think he's I think he's too big of a target to be taking a lot of shots over over or in between the tackles so I don't really see volume with him I feel like even if Pierce or Tavis Pierce and even if Nall can give them some production it's like they have to limit both of them to something like 25 snaps like they they just can't really be exposed to much volume so uh Pierce is kind of interesting it's like worse prospects than him have made little you know productive stretches in the NFL uh, he, he was productive pretty much his whole time at Oregon State, but he also never really got into a starting role. So uh, tough to know. Uh, he, he would be like, you know, a CJ Anderson type long odds where it's like, you know, there's not really much reason to think he's any good, but he hasn't proven that he's bad either. So who knows? But again, you can't really see the volume that Montgomery was prepared to provide. And even though uh, we were both pretty low on him last year, if I remember right, yep. and I, I was much lower on him as a prospect than most people were. I thought he was one of the better running back values this year before this injury showed up because the Bears need him. Like they, they just don't even really have a plan without him there because they, they have no depth at receiver. Uh, I, I guess Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet could be good at tight end, whatever that would look like. Um, but they just don't have the usage projection that makes any sense. And without Montgomery, they it seems like they have to – seriously consider signing someone like Devonte Freeman yes. or Spencer Ware or something like that. And I guess that could be, like you said, a call that they're preparing to make based on how Montgomery does in his one week, his first week of recovery or something like that. Yes. So that there's still, you know, a little bit of time to, to wait and see and, and, you know, get a, get a better idea of whether it's going to be closer to that two weeks or, or more of that four weeks and, and press onward that way. Because I think if, if they know that Montgomery's not going to be out there week one, I think they they definitely bring in somebody um, that that maybe has some experience in Matt Nagy. So maybe maybe like Spencer Ware, um, maybe that adds up a little bit there. But um, yeah, I don't I don't see them going into the season uh, if Montgomery's out with with just uh, Cohen, Nall, and Pierce. It, yeah, and I don't see of interest they may have. If Montgomery's out, I think Tariq Co- uh, Cohen's role looks pretty much exactly the same as it would in any other game. Like he was yeah. already playing 30, 40, 50 snaps a game every. So it's not like he's going to all of a sudden play sixty five just because Montgomery's out. No. Uh, one one nugget though, um, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Detroit one of the worst defenses against uh, opposing That's running true. backs as far as uh, their pass catching uh, is concerned. Jared so, Davis for your big bullseye on him. Oh, uh, but but uh, no, I thought he was supposed to be so much better this year. Anyway, I I'm just saying for for your week one DFS, keep in mind, especially on PPR sites, keep Tariq yeah. Cohen in 
mind because the, the Lions cannot cover uh, opposing running backs out of the backfield. And Cohen, obviously, that that's his bread and butter. So um, just a little something to, to keep in mind there. I'm pretty sure that those those uh, salaries on, on both the big sites have been launched, so you can start uh, getting prepped for that. We're only a couple weeks away from the start of the season. But again, we're talking a little bit about the Bears. Um, I want to use this um, to as a jumping – or I guess we already – kind of alluded to it but what is the rest of this offense going to look like it you know either either with or without Montgomery I mean is there any chance that the quarterback play gets any better uh this year between Foles and Trubisky (laughs) who do you think wins that job to begin with and like you know what what do you even like make of an Allen Robinson a guy who talent wise is elite but you know is being dragged down by just the sheer uh black hole that is the rest of that offense yeah it's tough for me to really think it through because it's just it's sad to think through (laughs) and it's yeah it's bleak like you said um it's also really annoying because it's like if you idiots had just signed cam newton i could have had whatever like a bunch of alan robinson shares i'd pick ted ginn in the 20th round and think that was easy that was fine uh, but instead, I'm terrified to take like any Bears player except for when Tariq Cohen in PPR falls into like the ninth round, and I'm I'm kind of just in the the who care point of of the running back <laughs> order. But every other thing, it's like I want to pick Allen Robinson because he's an amazing receiver. But it's so hard for me to take Allen Robinson when I specifically have to pass on whatever AJ Brown, uh, even guys like DJ Chark, uh, cer- certainly Calvin Ridley. It's just not easy for me to look at that stupid mugshot of Mitch Trubisky and and just just think like yeah that's okay because I don't really believe it you know it's like I I don't feel good about it and um, that all the same said uh, like you said Robinson had to play with that crap last year and he still was insane because he's just really that good um, but I don't know I'm I'm a little bit spooked about Allen Robinson this year both because I I don't trust the quarterbacks I I don't think they're capable of being much better and I don't think that yanking them in and out of the lineup and creating kind of like rhythm uncertainty is going to make either of Trubisky or Foles any better so I can imagine them both being at their worst uh Matt Nagy I think has kind of gone insane he seems to have really serious issues about kicker related trauma that's bleeding into his entire uh consciousness and he, he can't really see as clearly as he used to it's like he he was a sharp offensive coordinator with the chiefs and then his first year with the bears it's like yeah you had you had that nailed going into the 2018 season you're like look out for this bears offense like we have someone who's you know smart in there now and and you know it worked like the bears offense was good that year and then uh the the double doink happened and (laughs) i mean the, the world has been different ever since who can argue against that yeah i mean he he seemed to have a sense of kind of strategy and like cleverness that first year. And maybe it was just, maybe it was just kind of like a whatever recency bias thing. Cause maybe it was just a fluky uh, unrelated outcome of, of them winning and, and me thinking like, Oh, they're winning. Matt Nagy must be doing smart things. And maybe he was, maybe he was just as dumb then as he was last year, <laughs> but I really think he lost something and his talk about he- keeping two kickers and saying like, he needs to do it. Uh, like it just seems like he's, getting some weird ticks, you know, and he, he needs to be sharp to, to, to polish these turds successfully. And I just don't <laughs> think he's all there. So I, I feel like we watched some of the most memorably bad NFL offense like I've ever seen last year with Mitch Trubisky when he was at his low points. And I think Mitch has it in him to do more. Like, I, I don't think he's a good quarterback. So I think I need a sharp coach who's really on his game and has some hopefully deep group of receivers and a really good offensive line and a running game to keep this quarterback kind of hidden. And I don't really see it. Um, but yet I don't want to bet against Robinson, but I guess I'll have to kind of keep doing what I've been doing, which is draft guys like AJ Brown and Calvin Ridley instead for the most part. So I recently, uh, talked myself into my first, uh, Allen Robinson share in the, in the Rotowire Vegas league, uh, grabbed him in the end of the fourth round, if I if I remember correctly, 
that sounds right. Um, but you know, I felt felt okay about it. It was it was choosing between him and uh, DJ Chark, and it was a really tough call. Um, and I think I might have buyer's remorse just because I think Chark the the offense will be you know at least a little bit more competent and in, in up tempo and and all that good stuff. Um, I will. Oh, sorry. If I could interrupt real quick, sure. I think um, if if it is Foles. I guess if if you're a Robinson owner, I would prefer Foles just because he will run less than Trubisky, which could, uh, especially if the running game can't pick up the slack, it could kind of just result in Robinson getting targeted like 12 times a game. And then it's like, no matter how bad the quarterback is, it wouldn't really matter. Yeah, no, that that's definitely true. Um, but I, I think overall, I think uh, Robinson – I think he's just too good for the floor to be much below like uh, 900 yards or something like that if he plays six uh, all 16 games. But yeah. uh, I think that you do have to admit that with everything else around him, uh, it's hard for him to make to or hard to project him hitting the ceiling and you know being a 1400 yard receiver like he was back in 2015. That sort of thing. Totally, and it's also worth recalling the 2018 Bears offense was. Pr- like you said, it was it was it was probably average, uh, but it was still way better than what it was last year. And yet Robinson had the better fantasy season last year, not just because he played three more games, but it was like he was way more productive in those games. Um, and they have to throw him the ball like constantly. They have to throw him the ball because no matter even if David Montgomery gets back on the field and takes 20 carries and four catches every game, it's like their only other receiver is Anthony Miller. They lost Taylor Gabriel kind of just got subtracted, replaced with Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn is not going to draw targets as much as Taylor Gabriel. Uh, Anthony Miller's got a pretty lengthy injury history himself. So there's just a scenario for Robinson to get an obscene amount of targets because there's just nowhere else for the usage to go. Yeah. So I think that at the the very least uh, that – there is that component for Robinson where, where the target volume will, will definitely be there. His his target share, his market share um, in that Bears passing game is, is going to be huge. And at least uh, there's that, even even if the quarterbacks can't make him uh, all that efficient with it. And it's only, you know, like seven and a half or eight yards per, per target uh, when thrown in his direction. Uh, before we get into uh, the Jets and their... Uh, just very, very exciting offense. We got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise to the mix. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Leagues are forming now. That's Dynasty Owner owner.com slash rotowire we've all been in that league where the winner just got lucky and if you're like me you're but you know that you're better than most and dynasty owner gives you the platform to prove it dynasty owner favors skilled players who manage their roster using real nfl salaries within the salary cap it adds an entirely new level of strategy go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire uh, validate your fantasy football skills. That's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. Dynasty owner, start your dynasty today. And we also have a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker live draft clock, custom team logos, and walk-up songs, multiple draft boards and displays, and more. FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large screen TV for the whole league to enjoy, but it can also be used fully online and add any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. And you can perform both traditional and auction slash salary cap style drafts. FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any other customization to meet your league's requirements. You can sign up for a free trial account at fandraft.com and when you're ready to order the pro account make sure to use promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent off your purchase again that's fandraft.com use that promo code rotopod15 r-o-t-o-p-o-d 15 to save 15 percent all right mario let's shift our gears over to the big apple uh get into the jets a little bit um so Obviously, we were talking about how t- 
tough this Bears offense uh, could be and, and what that means for their uh, star players or maybe just singular there when it comes to uh, just Allen Robinson. Um, but this Jets offense, I think, is another one that that is looking particularly dour. Um, it's hard to really get too excited about uh, most of these guys. Um, what is your... What is your overall impression, and, and what is like the, the kind of latest um, buzz coming out of this New York training camp? Well, John, you might have seen in the the news yesterday, uh, Wednesday, or yeah, Wednesday, there was this weird thing that happened where Lavian Bell was taken out of the team scrimmage because Adam Gase at least said that the team trainers were worried about Bell's hamstring, and then after that, Bell went on Twitter and said nothing's wrong with my hamstring. And then he said in another tweet, uh, something to the effect of these practices make you stand around too much, they're too slow, something like that. And it kind of, I don't know, I can't keep track of all the, the little <laughs> narratives and phases people just tear through like, a, like the Tasmanian Devil cartoon. We, get, we churn through narratives that, that, that seem like really important and are hysterical at the time, but then people just f- forget it the next day like goldfish. So I I can't tell how serious anyone was or if they really invested in it, but people were saying kind of like, Oh boy, uh, Lavian Bell and Adam Gase, they're really fight. They're just like, they're just fighting in the middle of, you know, the town square. Everyone's gathered around and it's like, I don't know. It's like, I think Bell just was mad at the trainers. Like he said, it it was the, the Gase said it was the trainers and Bell was not like, responding to adam gase like he just saw some some news some reporter on twitter tweeted out um Lavian bell's not practicing because of a hamstring and he quote tweeted that and said nothing's wrong with my hamstring so he didn't say like gase is lying my hamstring's fine i hate that guy like that's not what happened but people were kind of acting like it was um it is weird i'll admit because adam gase there's not much reason to assume the charitable thing with him and bell he's he's getting you know more neurotic if anything it seems like uh but it seems like it passed over and basically isn't a big deal uh that people uh i saw that like the jets traded for kalen balaj and, and now some people are thinking like that has something to do with the fight no it doesn't no uh it has nothing to do with anything laven bell's you know knock on wood fine and and uh we can just assume he's gonna be there starting running back and that they'll uh give him quite a bu- quite a lot of work um, but the pass catchers have had quite a few injuries all camp. Denzel Mims, he went a little later than most expected, me included, but he, he went in the late second round, which is where I thought he should have gone all along. But the, the NFL media kind of drummed him up yeah, to be like they, a top 20 pick. They loved him after the senior bowl. And then the, yeah, he had a really good combine, too. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the production was good at Baylor. But, yeah, there there is just something about him that that doesn't sit right and um you know i think maybe jerry donabedian uh had had this comp out there a little little while back but it's like what if mims is just denzel perriman or i'm sorry not denzel perriman um what if mims is brashad perriman like very very similar in terms of their uh overall um yeah pro- maybe like prospect profile mims is kind of weird i thought if anything like he, he reminded me of almost like a smaller but faster devin funchess or um I don't know. It's actually funny enough. I was I was looking back over some things, and that, uh, because of the Jets, one of the guys that they had on their depth chart is Josh Malone, who was a fourth round pick out of Tennessee a few years ago. And I looked back over his profile. I, I, like I lost hope in this guy. I liked him as like a fourth round pick at the time, but he did nothing in Cincinnati, and then they cut him. So uh, how good could he possibly be? And yeah, I looked over his profile, and it's like, dang, this guy. It reminds me a lot of Mims actually when I start to look it all over, and and on like Mims. Malone actually was a way above baseline producer at Tennessee as a, a with an age disadvantage. Uh, so I have no idea why he's been so bad, but uh, he was basically like a deep route specialist and he was kind of six, three, a little skinny for, for the frame. Uh, there might be something to do with kind of like the leanness of the two. Like if you're six, three, you, you ideally would be more like two ten, two fifteen, or higher. Uh, Cause once you go, once you go under two ten, it's like maybe, maybe you like tip a threshold and become too tall of a target without enough, mass to kind of like break through the hits that you invite i don't know if it's something with the jam whatever anyway uh malone is apparently not much better now because he's running behind chris hogan in camp and chris hogan was just signed like five days ago i don't know who cares when he's signed it doesn't matter um you shouldn't be running behind soon to be 33 year old chris uh chris hogan 
and uh, unless you're kind of just like not a good NFL prospect. So who knows what's going on with Malone? Who knows what Mims can do when he gets back? But um, aside from his athleticism, I think people were a little fixated, putting too much stock in how he would make kind of like highlight jump ball grabs. And granted, he had a lot of really high difficulty targets at Baylor, but it's kind of a, a, it's a bit of a red flag to me when the guy doesn't outplay the baseline. It's it's one thing to, to carry the volume burden, but if you're not outplaying the baseline, then it's you kind of look re- replaceable to me. So I'm not convinced that Mims is very good, but it would have been nice to have his speed available. If anything, sure. and it's not clear. It's not clear whether they'll have that ready to go in week one. He's, he's had this hamstring thing that was kind of right off the bat implied to be about a four week sort of hamstring, which can easily be aggravated if it's that bad of, of a strain. So hopefully it gets better. But in the meantime, Perriman himself is missing practice uh, with a knee thing. And I don't know if it's the same knee that he had the PCL issue with back with the Ravens. Mm-hmm. But it's not what we want to hear about Perriman, who... Um, you know, he looked like a nice bargain toward the end of drafts and then he got some hype and I was shocked to look at the NFFC ADP from the past five days. Looks like he's going in about the top 10 rounds. Uh, like I should say the 10th round, uh, he's not going higher than that. Um, but yeah, it's like 10th, 11th, 12th round at which point, like I have no interest. No, uh, maybe if he was 15th, 16th round, which I feel like he used to be going in that range, but then he got, you know, the, the mainstream hype and people got a chase, the narratives, and I know that he did really good with the Buccaneers to end the year, but we also we also have to keep in mind. Uh, he knew it was going, it was because Mike Evans and and Godwin both got hurt. Yeah, he he was efficient in those games too. But the thing is, it was against the Jets, the the Falcons, and the Texans, all of whom had bad pass defenses. And yeah, it's like the guy runs fly routes, and Jameis Winston's a chucker. That that shouldn't have been the most surprising outcome. And as much as that was a really good way for him to end the year. We have to remind we have to remind people he was so bad in the first uh, about six weeks of the five games I guess I should say because he missed a couple and then he played his fifth game in, in week eight but in those in those first five games let me just count this up nine eleven twelve he had sixteen targets in those first five games he caught three of them for sixteen yards that's, that's not good so that's three out of sixteen for the catch rate whatever that is and that's one yard per target over sixteen targets. That good. And that's what he did in the first half. So like imagine imagine if Denzel Mims gets healthy. Imagine if Josh Malone miraculously starts doing something useful or something like that. And Brashad Perriman goes into week four of this year with 15 targets for uh, let's be generous and say 40 yards instead of 15. Uh, It doesn't really matter what we say. But if he's if he's struggling like that and and he's back to the former fourth, uh, former first round bust. And he's just on a one year contract. The guy no one wanted, just like no one wanted him last year. Like he signed with the Browns, and then the Browns traded for Beckham, and then he asked for his release, and then the Buccaneers were like, "I guess we'll take you." But he was not a valued player, and a, va- a player who's only on a one year de- deal and is not particularly valued can't really have sixteen target, sixteen yard stretches. So if something like that happens with him again, and he does have a history of drops problems, then he could get yanked for not just Mims if Mims comes back, uh, not just Malone if Malone somehow starts looking more like the player that he was at Tennessee. But if Vincent Smith can get back from his, uh, he's probably like a PUP kind of guy at best. But it's like there's just a lot of ways that Perriman can kind of fall out of grace here. And um, taking him in the first 10 rounds is just completely out of the question for me. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like he did show the upside and and the talent down the stretch last season. But, I mean, again, it was in a context where he was the the main focus of a really high-volume passing attack that was very aggressive uh, down the field. So, like, it, it, it... it, everything was in place for him to succeed if he was ever going to. And now the, it just isn't really the, the same scenario in New York. We haven't really seen Sam Darnold prove to be a great downfield passer just yet at the NFL level. Um, and, you know, this is his Perriman's first year within the system, and he's he's got this, you know, knee issue already again. Um, 
There, there's he's just not as good as Robbie be... Anderson. No, like, probably Robbie not. Anderson's the better player. Yeah, um, but yeah, also the the Jets offensive line. Charles McDonald with the New York Daily News, I believe, he has said that the offensive line, even with Mekki Becton there, even with George Fant there, it looks pretty bad. And the Jets defense doesn't have good pass rushers, so there's not a real easy excuse that way either. So if you can't block for seven step drops, you're not throwing these fly routes to Perriman anyway. You're getting rid of the ball because the pass rush is making you do it, and it's you don't need that incentive. Anyway, when your two best targets to start with are Chris Herndon and Jamison Crowder. So there's a lot of ways for Perriman to not just have his playing time yanked, but even if he does play, he might kind of go 60 snap stretches where he's only getting three targets, catches one or two of them in most samples. I just think the upside is overstated and the risk is uh, minimized uh, relative to most narratives that are out there. Yeah. So to to contextualize for for who he's going around in uh, in drafts now, according to the NFFC over the last week or so, as far as receivers are concerned, you got guys like Jalen Rager, um, Sterling Shepard, John Brown. Uh, Anthony Miller, Mike Williams. I know Mike Williams got got injured, and he's a little bit iffy for for Week One. I still Antonio like Antonio Gibson still at receiver on there. He's going later than Perriman. Take Gibson over Perriman every single time. I don't, like I've I've said that there's some risk with Gibson, but if the risk is relative to choosing him over Brashad Perriman, there's no more risk. It's just upside. Just take him. There we go. Love that. Um, so yeah, the, this this. Uh, Jets team uh, looking like a potential uh, disaster on offense. I do like Herndon and Crowder though, but those okay. those guys can make garbage time numbers. You know, like they they can pile up checkdowns as they're as they're making as they're making you know PPR scoring at least they can they can make the that always are going for it on fourth down and they lose by 21 points but even in those scenarios Herndon and Crowder are both actually good and they don't need that seven step drop to get their target no exactly so so keep that in mind for, for those guys um, and, and they're not overly uh, pricey on, on draft day um, you were just talking about uh, offensive line woes there in New York um, got some breaking news here um, from the Eagles uh, looks like let their left tackle Andre Dillard tore his bicep at practice is going to need uh, season-ending yeah. surgery um, so that is tough he was their second year guy um, I think that you know they had already kind of started to to see some aging out uh, along their offensive line with, with Jason Peters getting uh, getting up there you know are they gonna move him back to left tackle now I think I mean they might be forced to it at this point and oh, man, you know they already lost Brandon Brooks and that's Peters was coming back at like 38 or whatever to try to play at right guard after being their left tackle for like 20 years yeah um, so 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 all of a sudden, uh, the sucks. Eagles have some some pretty bad. They've had some bad offensive line luck uh, this off season. Yeah, Brooks is a really good guard, and it's like it seemed fine. Peters, you figure, you know, he he probably won't be anywhere near as good as Brooks, but he he probably could have, you know, known and he he had enough continuity with that with that just scene and working with those other offensive linemen that he could have been a good stopgap for one year but if they have to make him play left tackle instead and add a new problem at right guard just to do that that sucks um yeah that's that's a that's a little bit of a concern for Carson Wentz I think uh make in the sense that it'll be a little harder for him to take those deep shots too but I don't know Lane Johnson's really good at right tackle so at least they should be able to kind of chip only one side and not have to worry about both sides collapsing all the time but that's uh it shouldn't be a big deal for rager because rager i think is going to get plenty of underneath targets for for run after the catch chances so he's not dependent on it deshaun jackson might take a bit of a a knock for for dillard getting hurt though that's yeah okay so that that's important to keep in mind you know because his game does seem to line up where where the quarterback needs to be holding the ball a little bit longer and obviously if the pass rush is getting home uh because of the the lack of talent on the left side of that line that becomes a huge issue. Um, before we get into uh, the running backs uh, going outside the top four rounds in, in the modified zero RB, we got a message from our friends over at Underdog. Say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money, Underdog Fantasy. With Underdog, all you need to do is the fun part. 
just draft. Forget about injuries, trades, waivers, and setting lineups. Just set it and forget it and wait for the winnings to come in. This year, they have a $1 million tournament. That's right. Just draft the best team, and you have a shot at $1 million in prizes. Just sign up for Underdog today and enter the Best Ball Mania for a chance at $1 million in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching Underdog Fantasy in your app store. Be sure to enter the code ROTOWIRE after you make your first deposit. Okay, Mario, so... uh, as a, as a bit of a pretext, uh, the Rotowire uh, Las Vegas draft, we're, we're doing it almost like a, a Scott Fishbowl style where we have five different leagues going, um, five different 12-teamers, and then there will be an overall uh, champion. Um, so th- this is a standard draft. Um, I was picking out of the 10 spot, grabbed a running back with my first pick, got Miles Sanders, so now I feel worse about that in light of this uh, offensive line news in Philadelphia. And then it's okay. Well, Sorry to interrupt. I just think he's going to get check down targets if they really have pass rush issues. So I, I think Sanders is Sanders is fine. Yeah. Okay. So after that, um, I did something that I was kind of not expecting to do, but I went heavy at receiver. It, even though this this being a standard league, but I, I like the the touchdown upside for these guys that I went after. So I got Devonte Adams, got my first Kenny Galladay share, um, and then I got Allen Robinson as well. And now it leaves me in a bit of a lurch going into the the fifth round as far as running backs are concerned. And when I when I check the ADP um, over the last week or so on, on the NFFC to kind of uh, you know, get a look at what running backs are going to be available there. Who do I feel comfortable taking? Um, it's a lot different now than it was, you know, three weeks ago, a month ago, yeah. or, or, or earlier this summer. So once you get um, into the into the fifth round, you got guys like David Montgomery, like we like we've mentioned, Cam Akers, Kareem Hunt, Raheem Mostert, Devin Singletary, DeAndre Swift, Ronald Jones, Mark Ingram. Like all of those guys are compacted into into that um, specific like fifth round range now. So um, there. You're not going to be able to get those guys in the seventh round like you're used to, like like guys like Ronald Jones, I think, come to mind for that. So I'm trying to parse out, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this particular tier of running backs, but I'm going to throw one opinion out there before we get into it. I think Raheem Mostert is the guy to go after in in that particular tier. I think that um, his upside has been a little bit understated throughout the course of this offseason. I think a, a lot of people, you know, and, and there's reason behind it, have questioned whether that he's going to be the true number one in the San Francisco offense when, you know, Kyle Shanahan is so good at mixing and matching and getting the right matchups on the field uh, for his running backs and, you know, just plugging in a warm body and you can still get a ton of, of yardage on the ground in that offense. Um, but I, I think the Mostert is good. I think he's got that juice. Um, I think we saw it down the stretch last year with with that track speed that, that he has. Um, and I think it's still getting be- still getting better as far as like the running back tasks are concerned. So um, I think that he has a better upside scenario that, than pretty much every other running back that's going in this tier. And yes, he does have the considerable downside with, um, just with the frustrating rotation possibility, but I really like Mostert of these guys. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he probably has the most rushing explosiveness out of these guys. I would, I would caution a little bit that it's not just that Tevin Coleman might be around to get kind of like the human shield carries. Like if it, Raheem Mostert might be too good of a runner for them to throw out there when it's just running out the clock. And so Tevin Coleman might kind of vulture him in those situations. And then it doesn't sound like either most, it doesn't sound like either Mostert or Coleman is going to do a whole lot as pass catchers because Jarek McKinnon is hogging all the praise as pass catching goes in that backfield. So Raheem Mostert is pretty dependent on those big plays as a runner and, and the kind of like the touchdown production, but the offensive line there, I mean, Trent Williams by all accounts is just looking insane out there, like probably better than Staley. He was better than Staley, you know, when, when he was, uh, was kind of at, when both of them were at their best, Williams was the better player. So that's not shocking, but it's kind of, it's kind of amazing at his age. Like Williams has to be like 33 or something right now. He and apparently hasn't played in a while, still, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's it sounds like he's still running like a four nine at three twenty or something like oh that, gosh. which is just great. <laughs> yeah, so I mean those those wide zone runs, that guy can really hurt people and create a lot of room and McGlinchey's like sick at that too on the right side. 
McGlinchey's a great run McGlinchey like road is, grader. He's the right side guy, and he looks like he's sounds like he's doing better than ever too. So that kind of outside zone toss sort of thing that they it seems like it's always the same play with Mostert. You know, you don't really see him running up the middle. It's like they just kind of. They, they they set up these these threats with Kittle in the passing game and the, these kind of like motion threats that make the de- defense tilt a certain way and then they throw this toss to Mostert and I don't know if it's like the defense was surprised every time but it it's it looked as if they were and they they probably weren't it was probably just you can't defend Kittle and and the threat that he poses while also protecting yourself uh, fundamentally from this this play that Mostert does off the tackle and. He's he's still going to be that four three flat kind of speed. It's that's not going anywhere. So if those tackles are clearing out space, I don't really see why Mostert would do a whole lot worse. Like we can't expect him to score touchdowns at quite the rate as last year, and we can't expect him to you know do seven yards a carry or whatever. But I think we can expect him. I don't know to oscillate between like forty yards. The floor though is is kind of low week to sure. week. It could be just like he, he has like forty one yards rushing on eleven carries and if he doesn't score, that might be it. But if you build your team such that that outcome won't harm you, uh, then there are still also going to be those games where he has like fourteen carries for 140 yards and two or three touchdowns. So I, I gotta say I think I like him quite a bit better in best ball. That's um, fair. But but if you can get him cheap enough and if your roster is otherwise built such that, the, again, those four-point weeks don't meaningfully hurt you uh, because you can bank on you know uh, compensating upside from other parts of your team, then he'll give you the, those burst weeks when, when you need them to. Uh, so I, I, I would just be caught. I would just caution, I guess the, the consistency, which I know is generally overrated. And it's like, we also overrate our ability to correctly anticipate consistency. But I feel like with most we pretty much know that the structure of the offense means kind of categorically, he needs to kind of go into the shadows every now and then. Um, whereas I don't know, I, I guess I like Deandre Swift and Ronald Jones a little bit more just because I can see them. Uh, they have their own concerns pushing them this far down in the order, of course. But like, I I cannot see them disappearing if not for injury. Is Ronald Jones getting a little bit too pricey though? Like going inside the the fifth round now, or or do you think that you know as as things have clarified and it looks less and less like Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be a major factor at least in the early part of the season to where like yes, Ronald Jones does still make sense at that point. I think he kind of does just because of the inflation going on. I still prefer Swift there in PPR scoring uh, just because I I think uh, I just I just think people are forgetting what Swift actually is. And I was never like a super fan of his. But if he can play, they'll put him on the field because he's just that kind of guy. Like if if he's like the idea that if he doesn't get back in practice in the next three days, he's got some leg thing that's kind of kept he he was back in individual drills yesterday and apparently he was not in whatever kind of drill today. I don't know if that's because he uh, it, they just went straight to team drills. Like I don't know if he actually aggravated anything or regressed. But if he can practice two times before week one, he plays at least twenty snaps in week one. And if he plays twenty snaps in week one, then I think he gets like eight to 10 carries and, you know, four or five targets. And if he gets that, then I'm willing to, to roll with it because um, he's, he's going to create a lot more per usage unit than most running backs. And in the PPR scoring, especially is something where he's got a little bit of a loophole. Cause I think it'll, I think he'll have kind of almost like an even run and catch split at least initially. And I can see him running away with the, with the rushing work too, not just because of carry on Johnson and his knee, but Swift is just a compelling kind of explosive talent uh, to the to the point where I like I, I have no concern at all about him. Whereas with Jones, it's like I think he could be good, and I more or less expect him to be good. I certainly think he's better than McCoy and uh, Vaughn, but Bruce Arians is goofy, and Jones still is more theory than practice at this yeah, point. Yeah, he has he hasn't put it together yet on on the field. Like it, again, like you know, going into Ronald Jones's rookie year, I I was the one that, you know, was banging the gavel in a way that, you know, the, the Keyshawn Vaughn backers were this year where it's like, okay, uh, the bad running backs are, are about to be a thing of the past in, in Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones is about to take over and then he, you know, completely flopped as a rookie and, and wasn't very good last year either. But yes, I, I do, I do believe that there is, there is talent there. Um, I think Swift, 
probably the more talented guy. Um, you know, so you're comparing two guys going in the same round. Um, I would, I would also have Swift ahead of him as well. Um, but yeah, it, as far as taking those guys, Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry. As far as taking those guys, it's like, we don't really have the, we, we, we don't have the luxury of saying I prefer, this is my preference all of the choices are kind of painful because of the, the inflation at the position we, you can't negotiate with it. You know, it's just there no matter how bad it makes you feel. And you're going to have to take somebody at a high price relative to whatever round it is. There's no bargain phase, but I will say if I have the option of actually nailing this pick and it's, it's risky to do this kind of stuff because people snipe you, things don't always go the way you expect, but I definitely would rather target the Miami pair of Jordan Howard and Matt Breida and especially Breida, at least in PPR, especially Breida, um, rather than chase kind of that middle. Like, I feel like, I feel like Jordan Howard and Matt Breida belong basically 20 picks higher than they are. Uh, so if, if I could get those guys, um, I'd prefer them at their price rather than like, I don't know, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram at their respective price. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, it obviously can't get worse as far as the run game in Miami goes. Um, and, yeah, both of those guys um, fit, you know, fairly cheap. Jordan Howard, ADP around 92 in the last uh, week or so, and, and Brita uh, just inside the, the top 100. So, I mean, would you – would you double tap the Miami running backs then? In best ball, yeah. Okay. Not in not in redraft. That's so annoying in redraft when you have you have to make the call every week. Mm-hmm. If you don't have to make the call in best ball, it's like yeah, you, you just get it. Yeah, right. It's, it's yours now. Um, yeah, it's it's such a pain to to deal with a Howard Brita on the same redraft team, and that's why I prefer Brita at least in PPR both because he's a little bit cheaper. Usually like some people will take Brita ahead of Howard. I might be one of those people if I'm under the gun, I don't really know. Um, but if I can get him after Howard in PPR, like I think Brita has objectively unique upside in that range because he's one of those guys who, if, if Howard got hurt, I think Brita could be a like 18 carry four catch kind of player. Whereas if Breida got hurt, Howard is not catching any more passes than he normally would. Uh, but Breida, the only reason he doesn't get more carries that he does this whole time is because of his frame and like they don't want to overwork him. It's not because he's bad at running. He's good at running. He's always gotten good results as a runner, including some you know pretty high points. Uh, he, he, he makes big plays and he's got a reliable five-yard rushing average in his NFL career. So it wouldn't be for merit that his rush load, his rush workload is limited. It's because of the presence of Howard. So if Howard got hurt, I could imagine Breida becoming like a top eight to 10 PPR running back just because he, it would probably not last very long. Like they'd be burning him too fast. Uh, so it wouldn't work over 16 games. But if, he, if, if Howard like missed the last six games, I could imagine the narrative being like Breida, you know, he, he big winner this year because he got six starts to end the year and they overworked him in those six games and he got hurt at the end but who cares let's take him in the second round in 2021 and then he's a bust and we all hate him again all right did you just like retroactively do a 2020 Kenyon drake yeah stuff like that exactly <laughs> it's like i'm not taking Kenyon drake either <laughs> it's like I'll t- i would have took him if he was going at the burrito price of course see yeah i know exactly so um yeah things to keep in mind um but um rounding rounding it out when it comes to the like the running back inflation shaping up the way that it has and you mentioned jk dobbins briefly um once you get past mark ingram at at pick 59 the only kind of traditional three down skill set type of so the non james white non Tariq cohen uh type of running backs that that goes between there and yeah i guess around the the miami guys um and zach moss is jk dobbins um so he's he's sort of in that no man's land almost like a tier of his own as far as adp is concerned um going around pick 70 or so right now right right in front of tyler boyd uh and russell wilson um so he's another guy that it, depending on, on your running back structure to, to that point in the draft, um, you just might be kind of stuck with taking him. I, I don't know, but I I don't think that that's a, that's a bad thing necessarily, but I think you do need to, you know, understand that that's going to well, be John, a potentially frustrating, uh, like workload split. Yeah. With your particular team though. Uh, sorry, who was the running back that you took first? Um, uh, Sanders. Oh, Miles Sanders. Okay. Yeah. So, um, with your particular team, and especially if your next pick comes up and you don't actually go, or 
like if if you get on the clock again and uh, a really good receiver is on the board and you figure I'll just go with this guy in the flex instead of a running back, then you can reduce your roster construction to basically being Miles Sanders in one spot every week. And then you, t- you start taking these shots at running back that you know are risky, but you only need one to work. So if the other two, three don't, who cares kind of thing, because you're just going to only start two running backs every week. So if you could somehow get like Miles Sanders and Dobbins and uh, whatever, like Breida or just somebody, Moss, Zach Moss, I don't even care. Yeah, Antonio Gibson doesn't matter. It's like at that point uh, – yeah, those two of those might be complete whiffs, but like the the wide receiver pool is deep such that, and I think the tight end pool is deep such that it still makes sense to take those shots as long as you have reason to believe that one of them will work because you only need one of them, and and the misses would be kind of inconsequential as long as you make reasonably decent receiver picks otherwise because you you got that unusually strong trio uh, to start with, so um, it makes sense to kind of just hope for kind of like capitalizing on the running back inflation by only uh chasing the high upside ones and and being lucky enough to have two of them hit one of them already being sanders uh and then you get these wide receivers otherwise who can kind of start while you're waiting on on one of these running backs to break out and and they theoretically could be acquired at kind of like bargain market rates okay i I like where your head's at and we're we're gonna have to discuss this a little bit more off air but but now i'm starting to feel better about how i'm going to going to approach uh, the rest of this draft. But I think that's a good stopping point uh, for today's edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. Uh, tomorrow will be Andrew Laird and Scott Genstad bringing some good stuff uh, for you guys there. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks again for listening to the Thursday edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner.